Stop it! Don't open that door! Welcome to episode 10 of the Masters of Unlocking, the only podcast where the hosts talk about video games. That's true. You don't have to, don't, please don't look into that, uh, don't investigate, and even if we're wrong, we have an out, because we are just a podcast. We, we don't have journalistic integrity, that's not important to us, we don't need to do that. We get on microphones, we talk about our opinions, and then we back away from those opinions immediately. Seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Very legit. And you know it's legit because it's coming from us, the mouths of podcast hosts who just qualified everything by saying it's okay if we're not legit. So it's ultra legit, I think. Uh, But if you do find podcasts out there that are talking about video games, please send them a link to our podcast and tell them to stop it because we are the only (laughs) ones that have ever done this in the history of the world. I'm pretty certain of that it's a unique Uh, idea mm -hmm. very unique video game collecting which you do scott uh vg collectaholic uh that's also unique i don't think anyone does that i got into it actually initially because i thought someone should do it Mm -hmm. you know you're a martyr and we appreciate you for that uh i i don't i'm caleb i don't collect video games Uh, at least i say i don't but there's been plenty of evidence in this podcast beforehand to suggest that um i i do depending on how far you want to stretch that definition of collecting see the thing is with scott he is the ultimate uber collector okay he he's he's someone that if you heard about his his collection uh you would cry because you would never be able to attain that so me saying that i'm a collector in the same breath as scott is is wrong uh and uh, I'll keep it that way. So I'll continue to be the defiant, non-collector, primarily player. That's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think these intros of mine, they're just, uh, they continue to get worse and worse. We're going places. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, the Game Awards, which just as of the recording uh, of this podcast, which is December 8th, aired last night. Um, very, very cool event. Uh, a lot of surprises for me out of that, so I'm excited to talk about that. Um, we're also going to talk about a giving a game to an award winner for the Masters of Unlocking podcast contest uh, that we've been having over the past several weeks. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about PlayStation VR and their uh, efforts to get people to embrace VR. Uh, we're going to talk about Demon Souls servers going to hell, as demon-associated things should probably do. Assassin's Creed being a very smart game, smarter than a lot of us probably anticipated or thought. So this uh, is a, I'm actually really excited about this, especially knowing your, um, Scott, your affinity for this uh, region and this time. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into that. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about what you can do with your family this holiday season. It has a little bit to do with local co-op video games. Uh, so, with all that being said, oh, I'm excited. I, I almost want to just shoot past all this banter, but there's a couple important things that we should probably address, and I'll toss it over to you, Scott, to uh, to do so. Well, I think first and foremost, people out in California are dealing with all of the wildfires going on, so we want to both wish everybody out there well wishes. Hopefully everything comes through unscathed for you and uh, wishing you to stay safe. I know I follow quite a few folks on Instagram and Twitter who are from that part of the country and have uh, pretty massive massive collections that are all in, in harm's way, so obviously... Hoping for the best for them, but primarily for you know their their 
families and friends and safety for all. So mm-hmm. and video games and video games. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Let's be real here. But on to good news. Tell us what you're going to be doing, because uh, this is kind of cool. I am guest appearing on the Dollar Dorks podcast. I am going to be appearing uh, with Derek, the host, obviously, and the Cartridge Brother P1. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It's episode nine, the December episode. Uh, We're going to talk about collecting tips, buying tips, selling tips, and uh, all sorts of... uh, Flipping and collecting shenaniganry. Nice. Any idea when that is actually going to go live? I believe it goes live December 13th. It's going to be a week packed full of VG Collectaholic, which no one's going to argue with. Well, I, I don't know about that. podcasts. Nah. Yeah, there might be a few people. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will refrain from alerting you to any hostilities I find out there on the internet, just for the sake of your fragile ego. Yeah, my, my fragile little mind. <laughs> Speaking of which, wow, this is an unintentional segue. Uh, <laughs> what have you been playing lately? Pretty much have been playing nothing but South Park Fractured Butthole. <laughs> uh, I think I'm almost done with it. I've been going through doing all the side quests, and um, I think I'm about 25 hours in right now and thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, it's smart it's witty it's uh i'm not someone who watches south park i haven't really watched south park episodes on tv for probably since i was in undergrad Mm. but i'm i'm really enjoying the second game just as i as as much as i enjoyed uh stick of truth that's awesome to hear because uh there's a lot of uh, i've been off and on on south park over the last few years and so i felt playing through Fractured Butthole that I was missing on some of the in-jokes, possibly. Uh, There were a few characters there that I weren't sure if they were created specifically for the game or if they were from the series, and I would imagine that you would have that feeling even more so. A good example of of a fairly recent character might be the principal, uh, the PC principal character. Were you aware of that as a character in the series before playing the game? No, no, I didn't. I actually, I just sort of assumed he was made for the game. Yep, yep, he was part of the, and that's that's interesting though. Does it deplete your enjoyment knowing that that wasn't a character made for the game, that it actually has been part of the series? No, not really. That's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because uh, I have, as a quick side note, I have a, uh, a gentleman in my day job office um, who's, he's older than me, but he's not an old guy. Um, but he's a guy that you, he's one of those guys that you're surprised he's playing a South Park video game. He likes video games, but it's it seems like a South Park game wouldn't really be his thing. But he started playing The Stick of Truth recently. And he came up to me in, in the office and uh, was just cracking up laughing, 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 laughing. And I'm like, oh, what, you know, what's going on? And we talk about video games every once in a while. So I assumed it was probably some kind of video game related thing. And he said, oh, I, I spent a good portion of this weekend playing um, the Stick of Truth. And then he proceeded to tell me about uh, the character naming screen. When you try to name your character anything and you're just called douchebag, uh, you're not allowed to really <laughs> be called anything else. And he thought it was very funny, and rightfully so. It is super funny, but it's also something that happens within the first five minutes of the game. And so I'm thinking, wow, he has a he has a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, if that's cracking him up, I don't know that he's going to be able to survive the rest of the game. So I'm really excited to talk to him on Monday morning to see kind of how the rest of the uh, the experience is going for him. <laughs> I love it. Yep, it's good stuff. I, I they've done a fantastic job. I mean, turning something that used to be just a throwaway licensure for video games into uh, a a pretty pretty unique role-playing experience and adventure experience good great job by uh by ubisoft mm-hmm. absolutely i think that's it's surprising to me that the south park games don't have 
um, DLC uh, because it feels like it's the perfect place for DLC. You have this world that's built, this world that people understand, this world that you really don't need to add to. You have all of these characters that you can use, and I think people would be fairly happy with just throwing a few new missions um, at these games and building DLC that way. I, 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 I seems ripe for it. It could also be um, because there is such heavily heavy involvement from Matt Parker and Trey Stone. They've uh, I don't know that they've officially ever stated that they don't like the DLC concept, but they seem like the type of people who might be against it, and so maybe that has something to do with it. But it seems ripe for DLC. I don't know. I think there might be DLC planned for Fractured Butthole because they did sell a gold version of the game. Oh, that's right. They did, yeah. I think it came with a season pass, so it must, unless it's just, you know, for upcoming um, weapons and skins and things like that, but I can't imagine it does because it was, I think it was like 30 bucks more, sort of like your standard pricing on uh, gold editions. That's right, there was. And I know um, the pre-order had this special towelie thing where you you had a tally game buddy that kind of helped out, so there was that. Yep. So that, that wouldn't have been part of the, the thing. I'm, lo- I'm looking up right now just to see if there is any, um, let's see, it will include three, three DLC packs and free day one content. Um... The DLC packs, um, just scanning through here. Danger Deck, uh, yeah, so it looks like there are, they're going to be available separately for $6 a piece. So yeah, it's probably smaller levels, which is exactly what I was thinking that they would should do. So, all right, I'm a genius. Once again, you're listening to the right podcast. You should be working for Ubisoft. Oh man, wouldn't that be great? Uh, well, or, or at least South Park Studios. I mean, U- Ubisoft uh, would be great too, but I feel like my... My brand of uh, ridiculous humor would probably go better with South Park Studios. And I haven't ever seen you climb a tower, so I don't know if if really <laughs> central Ubisoft you'd fit in with. Yeah, it's it's because I, I avoid the towers because uh, uh, there's plenty of people to talk to in my immediate one mile surroundings. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't really need to see what's beyond the borders. You That's know? good. Leave that map fogged. That's exactly right. If if the map stays fogged and I don't know what I'm missing, you know, willful ignorance is the best kind of ignorance. Bliss, one might say. <laughs> uh, I've been playing um, It'll Do 2 Plus, uh, which I know is a game that I think you picked up last time, if I remember correctly, yep. you talked about it. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly, man. It, it was it was a bit of a difficulty spike toward the end, uh, which I'm a fan of easy games, so that was a bit frustrating. But it was so, it was more fun and more charming and more cute than it really needed to be. It has that art style that is almost too clean. Um, I liken it to a lot of mobile games where it just has these very defined, almost vector-like graphics, uh, which are kind of off-putting to me because they almost seem removed from the rest of the world. Um, And I don't really know how to articulate it other than that, so I'll leave it at that. So the art style originally kind of put me off a little bit, or maybe I should say the technique by which the art style was implemented probably put me off a little bit. That's probably a better way of saying it. But I got past that, and it was a, it was a whole lot of fun. Um, a, just a, a top-down Zelda clone, essentially. Think more Link to the Past than uh, Legend of Zelda, uh, the, the, the first one. So very fun game. Uh, definitely recommended it. It was about a five-hour or so game. Well, I don't know if that's true. I almost it's between five and 12 hours. That's a huge span of time. Uh, I can't remember which it is, but I want to say it was probably closer to like five hours. And I think it started as like a mobile game too on Android, right? So it's sort of designed Uh, for that uh, bite sized experience. That would explain the the visuals of it entirely. So, yeah, that makes absolute sense. I think playing a game of that length, though, uh, would be difficult on mobile. So I I, I anticipate that uh, you said it started as a mobile game without me looking into it. I'm guessing maybe it'll do the first one was probably more the mobile game and it'll do two maybe was designed for 
uh, uh, consoles I, or, and PC, though. I don't, I don't know that for sure. Um, because it is a longer game. I can't imagine spending, you know, 5 to 12 hours, whatever uh, it is, um, on a mobile game. Yeah, that could just be me. I know? can't so, imagine spending 5 to 12 minutes on a mobile game, so I'm right there <laughs> with you. Except the, we'll get to this, but the Game Awards best mobile game happened to be a game that I was playing, uh, talking about just last week. But I've also played uh, Jazz Punk, which is a super short, super funny uh, game, just a couple hours long. Uh, to be transparent, the reason I was playing it primarily is because I was trying to, I, I'm I'm at the threshold of actually being able to complete the Cartridge Club Alphabet Backlog Challenge, which is uh, beating a game uh, that begins with each letter of the alphabet during 2017. So I had a handful of games left. I was looking for a J game, uh, found Jazz Punk, so doesn't really honor the backlog portion of that uh, game, but or of that uh, 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 event. Um, but it's super fun. I'm so glad I played it. I highly recommend everyone pick it up. It's digital only, so y- you could ignore this part, Scott. But it's very fun, uh, super weird. Um, a lot of references to just thing. I, I don't know. It, you could tell that these are. It's a first time game, I believe, and you can tell that the developers were just let's be as weird as possible and have some fun, and that's what they did. And it, it was super, super good time. Uh, then I also beat Cube, which is sort of a Portal clone. Um, very fun there as well. That was a pretty short game, about five hours on that one as well. I saw someone mention on Twitter that it wasn't a Portal clone because it didn't <laughs> have portals. How dare you call me out? How dare you? <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> but the joke being that it is very much a Portal clone. Like it's it's so it's very obvious when you first start playing it, you think Portal. You start playing it for a couple hours, and you're like, oh, no, this isn't it, – it's just like Portal in some aesthetics, but no, it's it's not like Portal. And then the last couple hours, you're like, oh, yeah, this is 100% Portal. They, <laughs> they are obviously – because the the whole environment itself self starts to break down, so you're literally breaking the fourth wall. And in some cases, there's this little Wheatley robot thing. Uh, that really you never interact with. It just sort of is there and dead almost. So it's like they wanted to nod to the fact that they that they are inspired by Portal without directly ripping from it. They thank Valve in the credits. Um, so it was a, it's a game that's unabashedly honoring, and it's a fan game. I would almost say it would make the perfect Portal DLC. Like if if Valve wanted to create DLC, they should hire this company to make it. <laughs> Uh, because it does, it brings back a lot of those Portal ideas. It, but it was a puzzle game at its heart, and it was a, a lot of fun. Portal was one of the puzzle games that I really enjoyed. I'm not a huge puzzle game guy, uh, especially if it's just primarily puzzles. Except Portal mm-hmm. was right up my alley. I like that. Um, it's sort of the puzzles that are involved in your adventure games rather than a standard puzzler, and I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think the narrative went a long way in Portal as well. Yeah. Uh, it just and Cube has a little bit of that. You can tell it's definitely a lower tier narrative. Uh, they try a little too hard in some cases, but the narrative does help a little bit. Um, I will say, if it was a, a game without the narrative, it would probably I probably wouldn't have made it, it the full five hours. So it's fun. Um, and the last game I played and beat was Rhyme, a game I've been looking forward to quite a bit. I was originally holding off for the Switch version, but then uh, started reading the reviews about the Switch version and how badly ported it was. Uh, so I went to back to the PS4, got that. And surprisingly, the PS4 game is even kind of uh, not... It doesn't run too terribly well. A lot of lag and, and frame jumping. No crashing or anything like that. Incredibly super long load times because the entire game is essentially one world. So they front load it at the beginning of the game with an incredibly long load screen. So... Uh, a, f- a few issues there, but I th- this is a studio that I definitely want to keep an eye out for and, and, and look forward to anything new they might put out. So I'm very happy about it. Nice. 
Yeah. What kind of games did you pick up? So obviously we had Black Friday, so I had a slew of Black Friday stuff that came in. So I'm just going to touch on a little bit of it because I went on a bit of a buying spree even for me. (laughs) But one of the things that I'm most excited about is an item, a a hardware item, a console that I've been wanting to add to my collection for really like 20 years at this point. Um, And that's the Neo Geo AES. Uh, Obviously was sort of a thing that just existed on the periphery of my knowledge uh, in as a teenager back in the mid 90s uh, as it was really a home arcade unit Mm -hmm. obviously uber expensive games were ridiculously priced and none of my local game stores ever had it even in stock it was just things that something that i would see in catalogs or in uh you know the advertisements in the back of the gaming magazines so super stoked to to check that out i've never even really played one outside of the actual mvs arcade systems which the pizza place that i worked at in high school had one of those so i did get to play quite a few of the the neo geo games uh mostly fighting games obviously since that's Mm -hmm. kind of the neo geo's bread and butter looking forward to checking that out and in order to do so because i'm not i'm going to try to not get into collecting neo geo games themselves (laughs) because that's just a whole different level of investment that i'm not prepared to get into not to mention space investment i mean those are big cartridges they're huge they're huge so i bought the neo sd which is the first neo geo flash cart there's another one that's in the works right now by Darksoft, but this is the the first one that came out earlier this year. But it works basically the same as most other flash carts, the EverDrive line, if you're familiar with that. Put all the ROMs on a SD card and, and play them that way on original hardware. So that'll be um, how I t- experience the Neo Geo library. And then I uh, picked up Xenoblade Chronicles 2 for the Switch. Um, I the only I hadn't played Xenoblade X. I did play the original Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii, so looking forward to diving into that sort of a action adventure JRPG. And then I picked up Gremlins 2 for the NES. It's the first Nintendo NES game that I picked up in probably it's probably been 3 or 4 years, frankly. And it was just a game that I got a good deal on uh, locally. Gremlins is one of those movies like Die Hard that I just associate with Christmas. Those are those are my Christmas classics. Uh, so I might uh, might give that a whirl over Christmas break here. And then I just yesterday in the mail got something that I had kickstarted uh, earlier this year. It wasn't even all that long ago, maybe three or four months ago. It's the PlayStation Anthology book. And it's a 458 hardcover love fest for the PlayStation 1. It's got interviews with developers and uh, engineers, uh, people who were in the industry back when the PlayStation launched in, in 96. And it's got information on all the different hardware revisions and unreleased uh, unreleased games and items and a lot of really great pictures. Uh, definitely worth checking out. It's put together by Geeks Line, who have done a lot of the anthology things. They did the Nintendo 64 anthology and uh, a few other books of this ilk. So um, knowing that you're a, a big big into the books of video games, uh, having started the book club section of the Cartridge Club, I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, this is awesome. I have uh, I didn't even know this thing existed, but I really like it. Um, the one thing uh, I always that he- that makes me hesitate from these types of books is 
uh, and I can ask you about this. Like, have you received it in the mail? You said you you have received it, or it was just yeah, it just okay. just showed up yesterday. Um, is it is are is there any narrative element to it, or is it essentially just as it as the title describes an anthology? So it's a collection of this is what the PlayStation has kind of thing. Is there any sort of uh, not maybe not through narrative, but are there, are there? I guess there were stories from interviews with the developers and things like that, which I think could probably fit into that category. I just have read through a couple of the interviews so far. Those are definitely more narrative style. It sort of reminds me if you ever if you read Edge magazine or Next Gen magazine back uh, back in the day, kind of actually that same era, the PlayStation era. It they did a lot of interviews with the. Uh, industry insiders and it's a similar sort of thing where they talk about um kind of their experiences in the game industry and their what they contributed to the the playstation experience so to speak i like it yeah the uh do the, did you know if this uh, company plans to do uh more uh systems other than i think you said they had the nintendo 64 in playstation so far i'm looking at their website it looks like that's all they may have so far do you have no if they have any plans to do more I think so. I, I, the N64, I believe, was their first project and then followed up, obviously, with the PlayStation Anthology. But I believe they had mentioned in their Kickstarter process that they had more uh, in the pipeline. So I do have the N64 Anthology as well, which is great, too. Uh, so it's something that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on and plan on picking up and adding to the collection. Nice. Nice. Very cool. What about you? What have uh, what have you picked up recently? Uh, not much. Um, got uh, Next Machina in the um, in the mail. That was a limited run release, uh, and then I also picked up a Switch Pro controller, um, which uh, is the Xenoblade Chronicles edition. Xenoblade Chronicles Two edition. Um, I don't have the game Xenoblade Chronicles Two. I probably won't pick it up at least not immediately it does it does look like a very fun game but i just have a lot of other stuff to play the only reason i picked up this particular pro controller is that i was in the market for one anyway and i had read some reviews saying that this version actually has some minor enhancements over the original switch uh switch pro controller specifically in terms of the d-pad and uh the rubberized grip um not huge game-changing things but just enough for me to think, oh, okay, now is a good time to buy it. So um, that's what I did. And I've been liking it so far. I mean, I never had a problem with the uh, Joy-Con uh, uh, controller, the dog bone looking controller. I've never really had an issue with that. In fact, I have small enough hands that I never really had an issue with the individual Joy-Cons themselves either. But I will say the Pro Controller is definitely better than both of those options. But again, I don't think any of those other two options were necessarily bad. So I love the Switch Pro Controller. It's probably my favorite game controller. I exclusively play my Switch with the Pro Controller. I didn't realize that there were there were some upgrades involved in the Xenoblade version. Yeah, there's a Reddit thread about it. I'll see if I can find that and maybe uh, share it with you. Yeah, um, we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Should we jump right into the Game Award winners? Let's our do current it. Event. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Game Awards aired last night, uh, and it was pre- it was a pretty cool event. Um, I didn't know really what to expect. I hadn't remembered much of pre- the previous two Game Awards. I don't know if I was just checked out or what, but um, I had a bit of, of an investment in here simply because some of my favorite games of the year were up for nominations. Uh, the last episode, episode nine of Masters of Unlocking, we talked through our uh, what we guessed as some of the uh, winners in some of the categories. Um, so I'm thinking maybe what we can do is kind of go through and uh, talk about some of the winners in each of the categories and just see if any, and maybe just talk a little bit about them. Um, we have uh, quite a list here. I don't know if we'll necessarily go through all of them, but maybe we'll just touch on some of those that maybe we guessed at last time 
and I will be completely transparent. I don't remember all of the categories that we guessed at last time, so I can uh, make some educated guesses here, and uh, I'll start with Best Musical Score, because I know that's one that we did, in fact, um, talk about. I think we nailed it. I think we nailed it. I think this might be one of the only ones we nailed, actually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think we both chose Nier Automata for the Best Music Score. Um, It was up against, I think, Breath of the Wild and and Cuphead, I think, was even up there. Yep, Mario Um, Odyssey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we both chose Nier Automata. Um, I think that was the only category that Nier Automata won, unfortunately. It is. Um, but, hey, I'm glad they got some kind of recognition there because uh, they're great. I, I think it's appropriate for this category, too. The The music was something that originally was the first thing that drew me into Nier Automata. I, I really enjoyed it, and it didn't wear out its welcome. When I finished playthroughs A, B, C, D, and E, or however many of them there were, I still found myself like humming along to the music as I was playing through and and it wasn't something like uh, conversely Breath of the Wild I found the music drove me crazy after like five hours (laughs) which is bad because it's like a 120 hour experience (laughs) yeah absolutely but hey those those uh those few notes were were just great notes maybe (laughs) the uh the committee that nominates these maybe they're only allowed to listen to five seconds of each track that could be that could be yeah yeah (laughs) um the uh, best narrative. Uh, I think this was also one that we get that we uh, we made our guesses on. Though I think this, like many of the categories, uh, please go back and listen to episode nine if you're not tracking the conversation here, because uh, the overall <laughs> the overall reality was that neither Scott nor myself had really played all of the games, so we couldn't we didn't really have the ability to necessarily say that one game should win over others because we hadn't played all of them. Um, so that's going to be pretty consistent here, uh, just as a caveat. But the best narrative, what uh, the winning game is uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, which was a game I don't think either of us had played. Is that correct? That's correct. And actually, we both, had, we, during the episode last time, we both talked about how it was on our games that we wanted to play. And I kept mentioning how I was hoping that it would get a physical release because that was the only way I would get to play it. And just last week... IM8-Bit announced that they are bringing a physical release of What Remains of Edith Finch to PlayStation 4. So it's up for pre-order now on IM8-Bit. I went in, got my pre-order in, so uh, looking forward to checking this one out once it drops. Absolutely. We should probably uh, make it, make, maybe make it like a side uh, uh, a cartridge club game or something. I know the, the actual cartridge club game of the month is booked for I think until uh, the year 2038. So I think we're we're not going to be able to do that. But there seems to be enough people that are really wanting to play this game and are, are possibly into it or and could possibly want to replay it. That maybe we can get a good collection of people there to sort of uh, have fun with it. So. Yeah, we we did that with uh, with Wolfenstein, the first Wolfenstein. Right. It wasn't an official cartridge club game, but there were so many people that were experiencing it and talking about it that it almost became like a, a cartridge club. Uh, it really became like a cartridge club. Uh, um, you can do it. Come on. You can mascot. Do, do, mascot mascot game. <laughs> uh, I was I was really really hoping you would fail miserably because I have to be the best. Um, Don't worry, so I'm going to the... edit that whole thing out, and it's going to sound like I just said a cartridge club mascot game. Damn it! You're good. You're good. I forgot you have the editorial reins. <laughs> Uh, um, so I, speaking of Wolfenstein, uh, best action game, Wolfenstein 2 won, um, which I was super happy with, but I will also say, cause I, I believe that's probably the game that I chose. Um, although 
you know, I do also remember maybe during episode nine where I was almost saddened because there wasn't a category that I thought Wolfenstein 2 would be the clear winner. So I may have chosen something like Nier Automata or something for best action game. But be, either either way, I'm really happy that Wolfenstein 2 won this because um, I'm not sure that it won anything else. And it definitely was deserving of some kind of recognition because it really is a, a, a great game. Let's see. What else should we do? Uh, yeah, I was going to most anticipated Last of Us 2, but, you know, most anticipated that reward, that award just seems dumb to me. Yeah, I mean, it, that's such a personal thing that... Yeah, and it's also like we're going to award you for just being a game that people want to play, yeah. not any... There's no, there's no actual qualitative uh, things to it. So. Congratulations for not being out yet. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I don't know if uh, the PUBG game won anything do you know did it win anything uh, no it, it didn't win anything good yeah good <laughs> so there <laughs> take that take that oh. um so best strategy get game. trying to break the rules yeah stupid rule breakers uh best strategy game mario plus rabbits kingdom battle i still haven't played it and i really want to and this just affirms that i want to play it even more yeah it's it was a day one purchase for me but it wasn't zelda so i haven't played it on the switch yet <laughs> that's still that's fair that's fair uh <laughs> best rpg persona 5 i think this one i chose near automata just because i love near automata but uh, i've heard so many good things about persona 5 that i can't argue if you haven't listened to our last episode we did this sort of Caleb chose what he wanted to win, I chose what I wanted to win, and then we both said what we thought would win, and you chose Persona 5, if I remember correctly, as your selection for what you thought would win. I'll, 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 uh, I don't remember uh, necessarily, but I will agree that I was probably right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, then we had Cuphead won a ton of awards. Um, best Art Direction, Best Debut Indie Game, Best Indie Game. Um, just won a lot of cool awards. Uh, I, the, the, the difference between best debut indie game and best indie game, or at least the fact that this award has, that this, uh, this event has both of those awards and has a best student game nominee or, uh, a category, it, it just affirms that the game awards truly are like an industry forward kind of event. Like they really want to recognize not just the big elephants in the room, but also they want to recognize those that are kind of new into the industry, and it really encourages uh, people into the industry. There was um, Bethesda had a uh, had a sort of uh, uh, talk. Uh, they they had a really funny fake commercial, which which I definitely want to talk a little bit about. But they also announced that they have uh, I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars that were going towards scholarships for game developers, and so I, it, it's just a good warm and fuzzy. I love that they're that they're putting people who are new to gaming on the same stage as people who have been in gaming forever. You get, you got people who, uh, I think the, uh, best, uh, best, uh, student game award winner came up on stage and he was being presented the award from, uh, you know, a mainstay. I believe that was, uh, I, you know what? I can't remember. I'm, I'm a terrible podcast host, but there were plenty, um, ex instances in which people who were new to the industry were get giving awards or being given awards by, icons in the industry they're they're on the same stage and you have these icons honoring these new up-and-comers and it's just a very very cool feeling uh the guy who won um for best student game the end of a speech he even said uh i graduate in a week please somebody hire me so he he's he, <laughs> he doesn't have it made by being there you know it's just a very good platform literally for him to be standing on which is very cool frankly that that video clip should just be how he applies that should just be what he sends to every every application <laughs> Mic drop. That, I'm out. I absolutely would do. That's a great idea. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so we had um, what else do we have? We had a best game or we had games for impact. Uh, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice won that. Um, no real surprise there, I don't think. It, it's a game I haven't played yet, but gosh, it looks really really fun. Um, and then Breath of the Wild won. Uh, came away with a, a few awards. Uh, best game direction, uh, Breath of the Wild, and game of the year, which I don't think was surprising to anybody. It was certainly deserving. It, it's my favorite Zelda game ever, and Obviously, in a series like Zelda, that's pretty high praise. Absolutely. Um, what What do you think about? Since we're on the topic of Zelda, uh, they announced they they gave a trailer for or they revealed a trailer for the new uh, Champions DLC, and at the very end, Link was on a motorcycle. Uh, I wasn't sure how to feel about that. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me. I, I w- I'm weirded out enough by Link being on a go kart in Mario Kart. <laughs> So it it was a little strange, but I've also learned that hey, I, I gotta trust the people who know what they're doing, and and they obviously know what they're doing. So I'm sure it'll make sense. I just it it was weird. Yeah, I could see it being just a like a a single side quest or something. You know, where mm-hmm. it makes a, a something it makes a scene in a in a, tra- a trailer that people will talk about, but doesn't really actually doesn't really impact the game all that much, would be my guess. Nintendo seems to be doing that a lot. Uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Mario Odyssey, uh, it was literally in the game for eh, a few seconds, <laughs> and then that was it. So. Yeah, they must have just a wing of developers that are like, what can we drop in here that is uh, cutscene friendly? Yeah, We can just yeah. take and drop into a commercial without spoiling anything in the game, but making it look awesome. I'm hoping that the motorcycle... Uh, has a reason for not existing a- after it's 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 done its purpose. Because why would Link even ride a horse after that? Like, there's no a motorcycle is 100 percent better than a horse always. So <laughs> you know it's gonna throw away that entire horse lore. Epona's gonna be nothing now. You know what what's the purpose? So I didn't notice any any uh, convenience stores or roadside gas stations while I was tramping around. <laughs> so maybe he just runs out of gas and. That's that. If he can find if he can find batteries to power his tablet, he's going to be able to find <laughs> ways to power his motorcycle. <laughs> Fair point. I like that. That's your that's your you're no longer willing to suspend your disbelief when it comes to how does he power the motorcycle. You know, <laughs> this is a magical elf boy who uh, who can like put on different outfits and walk through lava. And you're like, yeah, but there's no gasoline. So, <laughs> well, yeah, the lava walking, I buy that. That's just yeah. run of the mill everyday occurrence, right? Right, right. <laughs> so there were some there were some announcements and and reveals here that happened at the Game Awards too. What uh, what did you think of those? Anything stand out at you uh, as particularly fantastic? Um, I would say I was really excited for the new Camp Campo Santo game because I liked Firewatch so much. But the actual game itself doesn't look that interesting to me. So I'm definitely going to have to hold out my um, expectations for when I get a little bit more about that game. Um, I have a lot of faith. I'm hoping a lot. Um, I'm actually looking forward to having Bayonetta on the Switch and having Bayonetta 3 in development. I've never played any of the Bayonetta games, but um, I I have heard so many good things. And it's definitely a series that I want to play. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And then finally, I think the, uh, the trailer that everyone's going to be talking about... Uh, the Death Stranding trailer, uh, which made zero sense uh, yeah. in, a, in a in a beautiful way. Uh, even Norman Reedus, after afterwards, was on stage and he said he he said, "quote 
I'm going to have to go to the internet to find out what I just watched. And he, <laughs> he's in the game. I mean, he, he's a central person in the game. So I, I think it's, I, I just love the idea that, uh, that Hideo Kojima has uh, infinite pockets and is totally cool with just kind of seeing what works. And, and I, I fully believe that, that Hideo Kojima spends, you know, uh, let's say he spends a good three months doing motion capture uh, putting uh, prototyping and putting different skins and sh- and shaders and everything in his uh, in his magical development box, and just kind of plays around stuff. And then afterwards, it's like, okay, now we got to find a narrative to make all this <laughs> shit work. And I'm totally fine with that. So well, that, I'm excited. That, that sort of seems like it goes in line with Norman Reedus's reaction to the to the trailer. That was what what the hell was yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it was a it was almost a nine minute trailer, right? And mm-hmm. and after sitting through nine minutes of of gameplay and and cutscene, we still have no idea what's going on. No idea what the setting is, what the plot is, who the characters are. It's just this sort of beautiful tech demo. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's no, from from what I've read anyway, there really hasn't been any negative response or backlash to the trailer not making any sense, which goes to show me how how much faith people have in Kojima, uh, gamers have in Kojima, and how much gamers are just on his side. Like, I think if any other developer were just to reveal this, it, there would be a lot of interest, sure, but I think there'd be more skepticism. And right now, the the overall vast majority of people, if not hundred percent of people are thinking it's going to be awesome. I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be awesome. So I don't know what it is, but I want it in my life. Yep. Uh, anything else? Uh, anything from you other than those uh, I, topics that I just commandeered? Well, I think the other main one that that stood out was Fade to Silence uh, from THQ Nordic. Uh, it looks you know sort of like a winter wonderland action adventure title. And as I was watching the the initial part of the the, the trailer, I thought, God, you know, this looks sort of like Colot, except good. How dare you? How... <laughs> Everybody knows it's fact that Colot is a great game. <laughs> F your face, okay? Uh, but uh, the truth is I kind of thought I saw the Colot stuff there as well, uh, especially when the, the uh, um, a, a, I don't think it was a representative of the game because I don't believe the guy who came out on stage afterwards was from THQ Nordic, but he said that... Um, the game involves uh, the elements are a big enemy. Essentially, he did those weren't his exact, his exact words, but the player does fight against the elements, um, and that's a big uh, antagonist in the game. And um, just like, and that was very similar for Colot as well. Um, so I'm I'm excited. My fear is that it's going to be too much of an environmental stealthy type game uh, where you're sort of trying to. Uh, stealth your way from one uh, warm animal carcass to another in order to 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 beat the game, and that doesn't interest me too much. So I'll have to hold out for any sort of uh, excitement. I think that's the common thread with all of the reveals is mm-hmm. they were reveals as more teasers and just doesn't didn't give you a whole lot of meat to go on, which I guess makes sense for us a, a setting like the Game Awards, right? It's not E3, it's not CES, it's not the PlayStation Experience. It's not designed to take the focus away from the awards and the celebra- celebration of what 2017 was, uh, which I think if you had something that was more more in depth and more had more meat on the bone. I think you would run the risk of having that scenario take place. Very true. You sometimes just have to play the game. You have to experience the 
experience the 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 game in order to have hold out judgment in order to have judgment on that game which is perfect segue i must say or at least buy the game and sit it on your shelf and never open it that's also something you can do yes 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 Mm -hmm. because you're judging Mm -hmm. it by an entirely different criteria Mm -hmm. it's no longer is it a fun game it's how cool does that look on my shelf one may not be able to judge a book by its cover but i've judged plenty of video games by their covers (laughs) because that's all you allow yourself to do (laughs) (laughs) that's the whole experience (laughs) yep that's right uh speaking of judging by experience PlayStation VR. Run with this one. Tell me tell me why I should now be excited about PlayStation VR. PlayStation VR, one of the big hurdles that Sony and really all of the VR um, players are getting into, and it, it's a similar hurdle that you have with 4K gaming or HDR, high, high uh, dynamic range, is in order to experience it and really understand what the difference is, you have to you can't just see that in a trailer you can't see it uh by watching an advertisement or reading a magazine you have to actually experience it uh and so sony is trying to wrestle with this in terms of getting playstation vr more traction in the marketplace playstation vr is selling quite well it's meeting sony's expectations but i think they're trying to make it even more mainstream trying to get it to be more of less of a niche item less of a a, a side questing thing than as more of a, a central gaming experience in order to do that they actually launched a trial promotion where you can actually get a playstation vr in your home to try for i think almost a month in order to try to get the tech in people's hands get it to be shown off and try to get some people championing the the hardware to you know their their social circles so they selected a bunch of i think it was 1400 random playstation plus members in the u.s and sent them a redemption code and all you had to do was put in the redemption code into your playstation account and uh put in a credit card which didn't get billed uh, but put in a credit card in case you wanted to keep it and they would send you a playstation vr bundle uh, and allow you to try it for almost a month. And the bundle that they sent was the brand new Skyrim bundle, which actually comes with the new version two of the PlayStation VR equipment, which is a redesigned uh, headset, which is actually a little bit lighter. I've been testing out the version one versus the version two PlayStation VR. The headset's lighter. The the uh, headset interface is much more streamline much much simpler to use uh, and then the big benefit is that it has hdr pass-through so you don't have to unhook your playstation vr from the playstation 4 in order to get playstation uh, 4 games to get the benefit of playstation 4 pro on your 4k tv that's primarily hdr um, so you get the you get version two of the the system you get place the virtual reality version of skyrim you get the playstation camera the move controllers the whole bundle it's essentially the skyrim bundle and that skyrim bundle retails for 450 dollars here in the u.s well those folks who got into this trial promotion actually got to use it for a few weeks decide whether or not they want to keep it if not they sent it back and it's uh, just basically a free trial if you kept it and decided you wanted to hold on to it they would only they would basically charge the credit card on file uh, $2.99 so you essentially got uh, you know le- uh, almost a half price PlayStation VR bundle which was a pretty great deal on its own so I, I don't know if this was going to be uh, a test run for similar sorts of promotions but i think it would be a fantastic way to to ramp up the the playstation vr take rate i'll tell you the uh the dirty marketing thing that's probably going on here um 
the fact that they are only charging $300 if you keep it is, I think, just a way because to, to have Sony get that near 100% adoption rate number. They want all of the 1,400 or as close to all of the 1,400 people as possible to keep the system so that Sony can put in its marketing materials hey, we had 1,400 people try it out, and 99% of them actually bought the system after trying it out. Well, they're probably buying it because it's $150 cheaper than if they were to not buy it. Um, They could buy it and resell it if they wanted to and probably make a profit on it. So I think there's going to be a lot of people who are buying it just because it is cheaper. Because the the reality is, is why would you, if you think $450 is a reasonable price, because that, I mean, that's what the bundle is priced at retail, then there'd be no reason why you shouldn't feel like people would be willing to pay that um, after they've tried it. Unless what you're saying, Sony, is $150 is how much it costs to uh, try this thing. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's very, it's a little sketchy to me. Um, I, it, it, I don't know. If, if I, honestly, if I were one of the 1,400 people, um, this is how much I don't care about VR. I probably wouldn't even... Uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't even um, uh, register. I wouldn't even submit the code to actually get the free system, knowing that I would just send it back after a month. It's just so not interesting to me. But I'm again a sample set of one, so I don't know. It, it, Ever the cynic, Caleb J. Ross. That's very true. I just have. I, I, I. It's not so much that I'm a cynic. It's that I don't trust my wife to not like do stuff to me when I have a VR <laughs> headset on my head. Like she's the type of person that would probably like flick my ball sack or something and and and, <laughs> and so i i just I, I live in that kind of household i don't trust it so uh and and also there's just a certain element of just paranoia like i don't know there's people in the house and i don't want them to watch me look like a weirdo I, i'm too concerned with the opinions of others that's really what it boils down to because you know that video is going to end up on the youtubes yeah, i know it will. of you wandering around and mm-hmm. knocking things over and Punching your television and things like that. Well, and I have no problem with the basic standard way of taking in video games. It, that suits me perfectly. Uh, having a screen, uh, it just, that, that's fine to me. So I, I guess it's not so much an enhancement to, for me as it is a completely different way to imbibe the media. And I don't, I don't want a new way. I'm, I'm <laughs> to have, you know, get off my porch, kids. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. I'm so old. Uh, I'm old enough dare I say, old enough, to be excited by Mega Man X coming to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, PC, and not just the Mega Man X games, no, but a brand new Mega Man game. Yeah. I'm super excited about this. Uh, so yeah, uh, Nintendo revealed, this will be a very quick story, but Nintendo, or Capcom, I guess I should say, um, revealed that they are, uh, they're moving all of the Mega Man X games over to Switch. We don't yet know if it's a, if it's like a bundle or if they're going to release each one individually. We don't even know if it's going to be digital, physical, uh, that, that we just don't know much about that part of it. But the fact that you'll be able to play these Mega Man X games on the Switch is pretty cool. But in tandem to that announcement, um, the bigger announcement is that Mega Man 11, I believe, yep. is the, uh, number is coming to all of the major consoles, uh, including Switch. And uh, it looks, it, it has that kind of hand-drawn style look that is a little bit, that I actually mentioned earlier with It'll Do 2, that's a little bit, I, I'm a little bit averse to it just because it feels too detached from its environment. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Shantae 4 was just like that too, and I loved that game, Shantae 4, Half Genie Hero. So I can definitely get over it. But 
Uh, I'm excited. Mega Man X has never been about the visuals, or Mega Man X series has never really been about the visuals, um, other than different di- di- distancing itself from the NES visuals. I mean, in that sense, all Super Nintendo games and therefore and games afterwards were somewhat um, visually uh, supported by their visuals. Uh, but it's all about mechanics and gameplay, and Mega Man games are notorious. Well, notorious implies bad, but they are very much mechanic-driven, fun games to play. So I'm excited about it. The Mega Man X games on the Super Nintendo are some of the more widely sought-after Super Nintendo games, and I think every single one of them runs easily triple digits, uh, especially if you're getting you know complete. You could go uh, several hundred bucks on them. So it'll be interesting to see from a collector's perspective what what happens to the values there uh, once once the the remasters come out here on the new consoles. Sometimes it even juices them a little bit more because more people uh, get to experience them and and then get nostalgic for the originals. But a game like Mega Man X, where everybody, you know, most people who are have experience with the 16-bit era have have at least played some of them. So I don't think my guess is it doesn't move the the needle too much on on the retro values. Shame, shame on you, or shame for you. Yeah, that's a bummer. I'd be surprised though if you didn't already have those games complete. I do already have them complete. Of course. Of so course. I guess it doesn't affect me all that much because I'm not selling them. So <laughs> yeah, you need to learn to be more egotistical and only care about yourself. Yeah, Come yeah, on. yeah. I'll teach you the ways. Show me the ways, wise one. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of old games, this is is sort of something that we've been warning against and just the the prevalence for games to not only just be digital only, but also even physical games having a significant tie into server access in order to, to be functional. Sony and Atlas announced uh, that February at the end of February, 2018. So really just a little over two months away, demon souls servers are shutting down for good. So just a little reminder that, uh, even even physical games aren't aren't forever, unlike diamonds. That's true. Well, at least the physical games in terms of the multiplayer experience, right? Because uh, Demon Souls, it, this is where my maybe my ignorance is, comes into light. Um, the game itself would still be playable as a single player experience, or do does this particular game rely on uh, uh, server um, updates and patches and things like that? I guess to even be playable. I th- there's still a significant portion of it that will be playable in a single player experience, but I think a lot of the fun that people have with it and and associate with it is is the the online tie-in components. It's it just as a reminder that the experiences that we have when we play new games today are not the experiences that you can have uh, when you start reminiscing about games, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. You know, we can go back to Super Nintendo games and recreate the exact experience that we had when we first popped it in you know, outside of the footy pajamas. <laughs> You can. I mean, they sell those now. True. That's true. Good point. So I guess you can but, do the whole thing. What's interesting about this, too, is the um, the idea that nostalgia will, um, it masks the, 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 it sort of flattens out the peaks of, of, of vitriol and negativeness. So it kind of evens, evens your memories out a little bit um, and allows the, the better memories to reveal themselves. And that's sort of the evolutionary purpose of nostalgia that we talked a little bit about. What's interesting here is that there will not only just be a... A, an idea of memory impacting the experience or the or the the, uh, the memory of the experience but f- actually the game itself will physically be different like it will be a, a literally a different game 
which will now allow you to look back fondly. So as an example, like, uh, you know, I think most people can look back on GoldenEye 007 and they play it now and they realize how broken it is compared to <laughs> modern games and it's not nearly as fun as they remember. Um, yep. But everyone will remember having a great time with that game. Well, imagine if the game itself no longer allowed you to uh, pick up guns. Maybe maybe the guns were fed in from a server or something like that. So you had this experience as a kid where you were shooting these guns and it was all great fun. Now as an adult, you go back and play it. And not only does the gameplay itself not hold up, but you literally can't play with guns anymore because the servers are down. Like It's going to be weird because I wonder if like nostalgia is, now gonna, uh, is eventually going to take a, uh, take, a, take a seat to more mechanical reasons for games not living up to, to expectations. Or will... Uh, fans step in and you know there's nothing uh, I bet smart enough people could uh, create a Demon Souls like server um, and and host it themselves I know people have tried that in the past and they've gotten their hands slapped for it um, I think uh, World of Warcraft had like a vanilla server for a long time mm-hmm. that, that was kind of being uh, their hands were getting slapped, but that kind of thing maybe could still be possible. I, I don't know. That's definitely beyond my wheelhouse in terms of knowledge, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see because a lot of the ones that end up getting shut down are games where some iteration of them is still being officially supported. Uh, you know, like World of Warcraft, even though it was a vanilla server, World of Warcraft itself in the official capacity is still a game that people were paying to play. Whereas since the official servers are all being shut down for, for Dark Souls, maybe you know, maybe that will we'll let them look a little bit more leniently on mm. fan fan projects. Yeah, very, very possible. Um, so the next story is going to be a super quick one. Uh, I just wanted to bring it up because I figured it made sense giving, given our name. But uh, there was an uh, an interview recently um, in which uh, the the uh, creator of Resident Evil, well, one of the developers, I believe, Koji Oda. Koji Oda, yes, he was originally hired to work at Capcom in 1991 um, on games like Super Ghouls and Ghosts, The Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse. Um, he uh, he said that the re- that Resident Evil that we know uh, uh, as the Resident Evil One on PlayStation One um, was originally meant to be a Super Nintendo game. Now he does admit that. The version that he they were envisioning for Super Nintendo is uh, would have been much different had it stayed on on Super Nintendo. It would not have been the Resident Evil that we know and love today. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting. You know, it's it's interesting to see that there's always these new pieces of information that are coming out, um, which gives me hope that there's always going to continue to be new information coming out that sort of changes your uh, thoughts about things and changes the way you look at things. So not a whole lot here, but just wanted to mention it. It's pretty cool that they he mentioned that it was basically just developed as a as a sequel to Sweet Home, the the Nintendo game that people sort of considered to be the original survival horror game, and that in the SNES iteration, as they were initially designing it, it was something that wasn't even set in uh, like a realistic plane of existence. It was set more like in in a hell scenario, almost like a doom. Kind of kind of interesting yeah i like it um so uh so real quickly too i also wanted to uh, mention a story and then we'll get into one that i feel like is going to be more fun for everyone listening and definitely more fun for scott here but before we get into that real quick uh there was an an in a quote recently from from someone at ea it was uh so blake jorgensen the ea chief's financial officer uh talked about the idea that consoles and his quote specifically is console and disc drives probably disc drives probably stay around for a long period of time uh he says i think the consumer deciding what's the easiest way for them to buy a game i think it's the consumer 
deciding what's the easiest way for them to buy a game, and it may mean they no longer have to wait, uh, have to have a store down the street from them, so they decide to buy a game digitally. Maybe it's easier for them to do that, but the overall point being that um, publishers aren't necessarily going to force digital. It's really whichever way is easiest for the consumer, meaning that disk drives and things like that will will stick around for a while and console will stick around for a while. Um, it's encouraging to me because I like physical media. I'm sure it's encouraging to Scott because he likes physical media. What's discouraging is that it comes from uh, EA, a company that thought gamers wanted to pay money for <laughs> playing games. So I don't know how much stock I can put in that quote. I think the intriguing part is that it it's EA's CFO that was mentioning it, and EA tends to focus on Western the Western market, you know, EA is not releasing games for, say, the the Japanese market very, very frequently, whereas the West tends to have the best internet connectivity in the world, whereas in Japan, most things are released physically in Japan just because internet there is ironically pretty terrible. It's slow and, and spotty, and you get that in a lot of parts of the world, but it's it's interesting that, that Japan is one of those from, from everything I've heard. I haven't been there. It's on my bucket list, but everybody that I've talked to who's gone there has said that the internet access is uh, leaves something to be desired, which makes sense And when you look at the, the Japanese market for Vita games or PlayStation 4 games or uh, you know a lot of the games that we get digitally here and instead of digital only releases end up getting physical releases in, that can be imported from from japan or uh, hong kong or korea just be and a lot of that has to do with the the lack of of realistic ability to download those types of file sizes so i wonder if ea has any opinions on other things other old things that may not be going away anytime soon like perhaps the Pyramids. In oh, Egypt. oh, that was a uh. that was a really good transition. Yeah, there's I a know. there's a, a an ancient quote. I believe it was Herodotus who wrote, "Time fears no man. Time only fears the pyramids." Mm. That's a paraphrase, but that's essentially the gist of it. Time is a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about this amazing. Well, I, I don't know. Give us some context. Yeah, it's amazing to some degree, but then it's also it's it's amazing for the reasons that we may not originally think of it as being amazing, and I'll I'll explain that later. But yeah, tell us tell us about this. I've spoken at length uh, about how much I enjoyed Assassin's Creed Origins, and a lot of my enjoyment for this iteration of the game comes from the setting. Uh, one of my undergrads is in ancient Mediterranean history with a real focus on ancient Egypt and specifically the Old Kingdom and uh, pr prior to that even. Uh, so I've done a lot of studying just on the, the Great Pyramid, the whole uh, Giza Plateau, um, all of that. And as I was playing through Assassin's Creed, and obviously you, part of the, the game you can go and you can explore the pyramids, you can explore the Sphinx, uh, things like that. But there there are parts where obviously there are dungeons and, and ruins added, different rooms that aren't part of the each of those... Um, structures that are included just because you know it makes it more fun makes it more exploratory and and mysterious at least that was my thinking after playing through this i just saw a news article that came out um last month so after assassin's creed origins had come out where researchers have discovered a new hidden chamber in the great pyramid so the 
Pyramid of Khufu, which is the largest of the three pyramids at Giza, has four previously known chambers. There's the Grand Gallery, which is sort of the entrance way that leads to all the rest of the stuff in the pyramid that's been discovered. And then the Queen's Chamber, which is the smaller one of the chambers. The King's Chamber, which is the largest chamber, which uh, is where they believe that that's where Khufu's tomb was, despite the fact that they've never found anything in terms of loot in there they've never found any bodies in there they've never found any inscriptions that say that it has anything to do with being a burial chamber uh, despite all of the other burial chambers in all of egypt being laden with hieroglyphs but that's a whole nother story and then there's a drainage pit so those are the kind of the four known internal components of the pyramid but in november a group announced that this group is called pyramid scans and what they're doing is they're they're using science to explore things within the pyramid that is non-invasive so the egypt uh, antiquities department won't let anybody obviously do anything like drill into the pyramid or the uh, the sphinx because they don't want it to be destroyed right so anything that had any th- sorts of investigations into these structures have to be done non-invasively so this pyramid scans group is doing something really unique and they're tracking solar particles called muons and the particles are given off by the sun and as they go through physical space like stone or the ground or metal whatever they get absorbed some some amount of them get absorbed so if they look at the number of muon particles on one side of the pyramid and then measure the muon particles coming through the pyramid they can look at the density and the expected density of the pyramids themselves and say okay well that's a solid structure we know that the expected amount of muons are being absorbed by this physical structure well in in one spot directly above the grand gallery of the pyramid they actually discovered that there has to be empty space above this grand gallery because more muons than are expected are passing through that part of the pyramid so this empty chamber that's detected above the great gallery ironically enough is included in the pyramid in assassin's creed origins so a game that came out in october and had been worked on for years prior to that includes a a physical uh, unknown chamber in the great pyramid that nobody knew existed (laughs) after this discovery was announced somebody tweeted at ubisoft that oh it's time to patch assassin's creed origins and one of the the lead developers replied ah no no need we've already got it in there don't worry we're good to go (laughs) they weren't tipped off to the discovery before the announcement of the discovery rather they based the game's pyramid construction on a theory that was uh it's been around for a couple of decades now that was put forward by a french architect named jean-pierre houdin and jean-pierre houdin's theory is that the pyramids were actually built from the inside out the shell was constructed and then they were filled in with interior ramps uh, which is interesting because nobody really knows how the pyramids were built you know you always see in books and history books that they had these big sand ramps that uh, you know thousands of slaves pushed giant blocks up and put them into place well that that's actually a highly unlikely 
scenario because the construction of the ramp would have been a larger marvel of engineering than the pyramids themselves. So nobody really knows how they were built, but this French architect had this theory that they were built from the inside up, or from the inside out, rather. And so Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed historian, uh, Maxime Durand, told Kotaku, quote, We've long believed that Jean-Pierre Houdin's theories about the inner ramp and royal circuit with two antechambers inside the Great Pyramid are probably the most credible, which is why we decided to use them in the game. We were betting on the fact that these secret locations inside the Great Pyramid would probably be discovered in the near future, so we wanted players to allow players the chance to visit them in advance, end quote. I just think that's really cool. You know, they they went in and they did a bunch of research. They they looked at the pyramid and thought, we're going to put some extra stuff in there anyway. Let's do some research and see what's the most probable thing that could be found in the pyramid and mimic that. And it was just sort of synchronicity of timing that uh, that the announcement of the discovery of this chamber came out uh, within several weeks of the launch of Assassin's Creed Origin. So we'll put in the show notes, we'll put a picture of the pyramid and where the hidden chamber is inside of it that was released by the this team that discovered it, the Scan Pyramids team. Um, and then when you play Assassin's Creed Origins, just think uh, that this... This little extra thing that they tossed into the pyramid might actually be there for future archaeologists to discover. Who knows? Maybe it's filled with treasure and the actual tomb of King Khufu. <laughs> that, the, yeah, that was the most uh, when, earlier when I alluded to uh, this being impressive for reasons you might not immediately think about it. The impressive part is not so much that these uh, that this this these, this chamber exists, but the fact that the Assassin's Creed developers kind of planned for it um i remember watching a documentary uh this was years ago i was probably in high school um and reading this research that you put together scott makes me realize that's probably the documentary i was i was watching but it specifically i remember seeing images of this spiral uh internal spiral staircase inside a pyramid there was these scans that people you know kind of filled out with their guesses as to how this would look and uh in the uh the national geographic article that you'd link to um, there's a picture in that article um, that looks like an exact image that I had seen in that documentary. So it must have been a National Geographic documentary or something. And what was interesting is I remember watching this documentary in uh, in high school, and later uh, people would still talk about the mysteries of how the how the pyramids were created. And I remember in my head thinking, well, didn't they solve that? Like, I thought that this documentary I was watching was like fact. Like, they had definitely figured out that they – uh, built it from the inside out with a series of of ramps, and that it was all you know good to go. No no need to worry about that anymore. Um, and it wasn't until years later that I realized that was still somewhat of a theory. People weren't necessarily sure. It was just these scans allowed them to see these these ramps. Um, and then adding on top of that, the 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 article that that you mentioned or the the discovery that you mentioned, which is sort of an extension of this ramp of this interior build. Um, the fact that they that there's potentially a, a hidden cavern or a hidden room in there as well is just I don't know it is very interesting to me and um you know kudos to Assassin's Creed I I feel like this could be a a way for video games to even more um uh, uh be relevant in terms of uh, of of science and in terms of of just uh, archaeology and things like that I'm sure there's other areas where video game developers can on the ruse of creating a fun interactive game instead explore these ideas that historians and that uh, researchers 
uh, have, right? Explore these theories. So I, I don't know what another option would be. I don't know if there's another um, uh, scenario out there where game developers could could leverage uh, this, but it, it could be cool. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because there, Ubisoft is actually working on a patch, an upcoming patch for Assassin's Creed Origins that I think it's called Discovery Mode, and it's a mode where you can enable and it removes all of the enemies and all of the you know dangers and things from the game, and you can just go around exploring the the ruins and exploring the tombs and exploring the the recreation of ancient egypt that they've made and it sort of goes hand in hand because as you go through all of these places whether it's the the giza plateau or the the pharos lighthouse at alexandria or the tomb of alexander all of these things the the valley of the kings they're all just things that you know you learn about in in history class but it's cool to have a high budget recreation of them that you can go in and explore and put some uh, some visibility into so I think it could be interesting tools multimedia tools for uh, professors and teachers down the road I like that I like that well that's awesome awesome speaking of interesting tools <laughs> iTunes has a review feature which is an interesting tool where you can review a podcast created by a couple of interesting tools. <laughs> and we had a bunch of people that did that for us. And we want to thank you all, everybody who submitted a review. And now the reason that the, you all submitted reviews is a free game drawing. We're going to go ahead and pick the winner of the Masters of Unlocking free game giveaway right now. And uh, we're going to see which one of you fine people gets a free game. Let's do it. Let's do it. So just to give you a recap on the contest here, we've been running this contest for the last three or four weeks now on, on the social medias. Uh, it was announced on Twitter and Instagram uh, and Facebook. You can find us and follow MOU Podcast on Twitter or Masters of Unlocking pretty much anywhere else and get updates on our contests and uh, new episode releases and things like that. Uh, but the contest we gave where we're running currently was anybody who submitted a review to their podcasting platform of choice of masters of unlocking gets entered into a contest here that we're going to draw in just a moment for your choice of the metroid samus Returns special edition for the nintendo 3ds the fire emblems warrior special edition for the nintendo switch the Gears of War 4 Ultimate Edition for the Xbox One, or the Limited Steelbook Edition of Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age for the PlayStation 4. So hopefully, uh, whoever wins, we've got you covered for your gaming platform of choice, and uh, we'll have a little something for you. So we had uh, just under 20 entrants um, for the contest, so everybody's got a pretty good chance here of winning, and I've got a number randomizer going uh, and everybody detailed out here on my spreadsheet so i'm going to go ahead and click the randomize button and Excited. and the winner of your choice of one of these four video games is the retro lectors yeah so congratulations thank you to everybody who entered again 
you know, we, we really appreciate all the kind words. It's amazing how many kind things people will say about you when you bribe them with the prospect of free video games. <laughs> Go ahead and drop us a line with your prize selection, which one of the four games you would like, and your mailing address, and we will get that out to you as soon as possible. So congratulations again, the Retro Lectors, winners of the Masters of Unlocking free game giveaway. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think what retro lectors, what they should uh, do is brag about this win at their next their next family gathering. You know, I mean, uh, what else could they possibly be do doing during this next upcoming family gathering? Huh? Yeah. I You know, I don't I don't know. I mostly just try to avoid family at family gatherings, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I suppose there could be something better that we could do. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, this is a video game podcast, the one and only video game podcast, as I established early on. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. there's some video games that, that family members could play. What do you think? Ooh, I like where your head is at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On top of my shoulders. Yeah. That's, I like yeah. it there, too. That, that's a good spot for it. It's a good spot. <laughs> so... Obviously, everybody gets together with family and friends for the holidays coming up here and Christmas and and Hanukkah just around the corner and and Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, I believe, is also just around the corner, although I'm not entirely positive about that because my Kwanzaa knowledge is is very uh, uh, middling at to be kind. (laughs) But I always think that it's a good idea if you can sort of step out of the family holiday gatherings a little bit and limit the discussions with, you know, crazy Uncle Jimbo in the tinfoil hat uh, about the time that he got abducted by aliens and, uh, and instead focus everybody on things that don't involve discussion. Focus them on beating each other up in digital format and Mm -hmm. having fun with a couch co-op game, perhaps bringing families together through the medium of video games. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds great. Now, what... Uh, you know, maybe what we can do is, is kind of think about uh, our – first of all, we should make some recommendations. We should we should tell people what kind of games they should play, and maybe we can kind of br- break this down into two primary categories if that makes if that makes sense. Maybe it's sort of a family fun game, uh, a game that if you're a non-gamer, you can still enjoy. Um, and then perhaps also co-op games, games that uh, you, you may, you know – you may uh, secretly be really good at, uh, but pretend that you're not so that you can dominate all of your family members um, during this holiday season. You know, it's the spirit. We're going to focus more on modern games because I think a lot of the old school retro games have two player bone built in. They weren't designed for network play. So you could pretty much pick up almost any multiplayer retro game and it's 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 a couch co-op right or it's a it's a local multiplayer there nothing else existed so we're going to focus on the newer stuff the specifically for the current generations playstation 4 switch xbox one and just give you a glimpse into some things that uh, might be good to pop in this holiday season and and can have fun with with your family and friends so let's start with our family fun seg- section, the the games that even non-gamers can enjoy and sometimes are even more fun with non-gamers, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they don't know how to like sort of, sort of uh, needle you. They don't, they don't know what pushes your buttons as a gamer. They, they are just looking at it strictly from the element of, is this fun? Uh, why don't we do it this way? Why don't you toss out one that, uh, that you think is particularly fun or engaging or good for family fun, and we can just alternate back and forth and go through our category here let's do that uh i've largely been um been uh 
excluded from any sort of from talking to my family. My family uh, doesn't like me. Um, that's not true. They they love me, but. Uh, this is just to say that I may not have nearly as many picks as you, but I will definitely do my best. All right. Okay. Um, how about you go first, since we know that I don't have very many to choose from. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, the first one that I'm going to suggest is Rocket League. Now, Rocket League is a combination. Uh, it, it's part racing game and part soccer game. So it's something that's very arcadey. Um, but if you get really good at it, uh, you can... It can be a very competitive type of game, but it can also just be mindless fun. And it's something that's easy to play. Everybody sort of knows soccer, even if you hate soccer, which I do. <laughs> I still have fun with Rocket League. It's uh, it's just a good game to pick up and play, and it's exciting. It's it's action packed, um, and it's it's uh, a throwback to games, to retro games where they were easy to play, difficult to master. Um, I would definitely recommend checking out Rocket League. It's available, I believe, on both PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, in both physical and digital formats. Awesome. Um, my vote, my first choice would be Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It's a recent pickup for me, uh, but my, my, my sons, 4 and 8, are absolutely loving it, and they're both able to play adequately. Um, you don't have to have a, whole, have a whole lot of skill just to finish a race. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun so far. As somebody who spent quite a bit of time playing Mario Eight or Mario Kart Eight on the uh, Wii U, I played Mario Kart Eight Deluxe on on a trip home uh, a couple of months ago, and loved the fact that it's just got so many more extra tracks, so many more extra cups, so many more extra racers. Uh, it's really a it really is the complete experience, and I think everybody. For the most part, if you've played video games, I think you've probably at some point played Mario Kart, some iteration of Mario Kart. So it's just one of those games that you can pick up and, and play and toss in, and it's easy to describe what's going on. Yeah, very true. All right, what's next? Next up is another game that is easy to just pick up and play with folks who don't have to be good gamers, and that's the Jackbox, part, Jackbox Party Pack. Uh, it's sort of a multi-party game it's got a lot of trivia in it and it's just a game that is a heck of a lot of fun for for all ages all sort of interest background interest it's it's just a really well done party game and it's one of those games that i didn't have much I just sort of viewed it as the next iteration of the you don't know Jack kind of games, which I never really got into. But popping it in with a, a group of friends that came over, we usually do a board game night every every month or so. And recently we played Jackbox Party Pack, and it was it was an absolute blast. It really does create sort of that social board gaming experience, but in in digital form. Nice. I've never played it, and I would like to. Uh, let's go with uh, Snipper Clips, uh, one of the launch titles for uh, the Nintendo Switch and recently was just released in a physical format in sort of a deluxe updated version. Uh, only two players, I believe at least the original one was. Perhaps the new one has more than two more than two players. but uh, So somewhat limited, but it's the kind of game that even uh, bystanders can sort of yell at and tell you that you're doing things wrong, which I think would be a lot of fun for family fun. So Snipper Clips. <laughs> 
Another experience that a lot of us share when we get together with family, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, is the experience of gathering around in the kitchen and some people are snacking and some people are eating and usually too many people are trying to cook and getting in each other's way. So one way that you can sort of experience that in a fun way rather than an aggravating way is to play the game Overcooked. Overcooked is probably my favorite couch co-op game of this generation so far. It's a multiplayer strategy game where you're trying to complete a, a a meal, really, and you have multiple people having to do multiple things. If you've ever seen the television show like Kitchen Nightmares or any of those Gordon Ramsay uh, game show type cooking shows, it's really that sort of thing where you've got to have multiple people working together and you've got to uh, have a, a, a chef and a sous chef and different stations being managed and everybody kind of working together in order to succeed at the tasks at hand. And uh, it, it's just a lot of fun, inspires a lot of uh, jabs and a lot of uh, you know ribbing of each other and um, highly, highly recommend it. And it's a game that you can pick up on the dirt cheap. It's I think the physical version, brand new, is like $19. And you should be able to find it if you look for, for 10 or under. So definitely worth checking out. Nice. And my last one, I mention it here because this is the only list that this game should ever be mentioned on, at least a, a list in, in a positive kind of sense, and that's 1-2-Switch, a game that is still uh, criminally overpriced, uh, really just a tech demo for the Switch. It was a launch title, um, but it, it, it does have its place when you have a, a gathering of family um, around, so that's my last one. I'm still stunned that that wasn't a wasn't a pack in with the system. It really is a game that you can show off the Switch's technical capabilities and different uh, different functions and features with in a in a social uh, and you know, just laid back kind of way. Yeah, I bet if it was a pack in game, this is my this is my theory that what I've come around on. If it was a pack in game, then a lot of people would not have purchased a different another game. They would have said, "Well, it already comes with the game. I'm not going to buy another one," and therefore they would have associated the Switch experience with just one two Switch. Even if it was a pack-in game, 1-2-Switch isn't a great game. It's just sort of, there's no single-player thing. It's just sort of, it is what it is. Uh, so that might have prevented people from buying Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and really latching onto that game and possibly giving the Switch a bit of a uh, a bit of a, a bum rap at the beginning. That's my theory anyway. That's interesting. That That could very well be. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. So what else you got? So I have two more here in our family fund. So I will start with one that is a party game that I played a ton of back in college. We had we would organize um, party game nights around this game or this series, and that's Rock Band 4. Um, now, obviously, it really only works if probably you're the gamer and you're hosting Christmas or the holidays this year because you're not going to take the giant rock band bundle on on the plane with you to go visit family uh, but if you're if you're hosting and you have the room rock band is an absolutely uh, amazing party game it has been since the very first iteration I, I feel like it's even more fun the worse you suck at it you know it's <laughs> it's sort of like karaoke is really only good if nobody's any mm-hmm. good yeah, definitely recommend my my family is not the most musically inclined bunch. So rock band is sure to have plenty of hilarity ensue. <laughs> and then my last entry in this this section is something that you brought up earlier, and that's the PlayStation VR. And in fact, I have it on this list because of the very reason you brought up not wanting to play it earlier. And that's <laughs> because 
watching someone play PlayStation VR or any VR, frankly, is even more fun than experiencing VR for yourself. Specifically with the PlayStation VR on the demo disc, there's a, a experience called the shark dive where you go into a shark cage and you get submerged in this uh, you know shark diving cage and everybody nearly craps their pants when the <laughs> shark comes out of the depths and just rams into that shark cage doesn't matter if you know it's coming it's the most hilarious thing to watch because PlayStation VR does a good job because it's what the person is seeing in the, in the headset you can actually display on the TV. So people can see what, what the person wearing the VR is experiencing. And uh, in games like shark dive or, or even until dawn rush of blood, where it's a very suspenseful game and it's sort of about the jump scares. You can have some real fun with people by, you know, just, touching their foot or tapping them on the shoulder. <laughs> the very things that you had mentioned were the reason why you still want to stay away from VR. Those are the exact reasons to experience VR in a familial or group setting. You haven't sold me. Loads of fun for everyone, especially if you have a video camera and a YouTube connection. Ooh. Ah, yeah, that helps. <laughs> uh, you haven't sold me. I'm, I'm still avoiding it like the plague. <laughs> So speaking of avoiding like the plague, no matter how close your family is, you get to the point where you just want to be able to retreat and go down into the game cave. And maybe maybe you bring your brother or your sister or one of your in-laws with you and there you're retreating together and you just you're both gamers and you want to say enough of this casual crap. We want to get some gaming on. Let's talk about a couple of couch co-op games for gamers. I like it. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> I think I, the, the only reason I say go for it is because I'm a lonely, lonely individual. And so I'm I'm learning on this list, as are the listeners. So you'll be the expert here. So I really I have three games that I wanted to mention here in the gamer-focused couch co-op. The first one is Towerfall Ascension, which is, uh, as you might guess from the name, it's a tower defense game. But it does a really good job of catering to couch co-op. So you can play either co-op or uh, a, a true multiplayer versus type experience and just a pretty standard tower defense game, but tons of fun for for two players to I think you can actually play up to four players in couch co-op. So if you have, you know, multiple gamers that want to escape and retreat to a gaming bliss, I don't feel like it it translates really well to sort of the non-gamer uh or social gamer kind of world. So that's why I put it here in our in our gamer focus co-op. Second is Dead Nation. Dead Nation was a PlayStation Plus free game, I think, a couple of years back, and that was the only way I had played it. It's a combination between a retro style shmup. It's almost like if you can think of think back to like the original Metal Gear, where it's sort of an isometric view and you're going around just blasting away enemies and clearing stages, and it's just a, a fun action shoot 'em up. Highly recommend Dead Nation. I think the it's Dead Nation Apocalypse Edition. I think it's just two players. It's the only way I played it is two player, and I played it single player, and it wasn't really anything to write home about. But the just the interaction of of the the two player mode, same screen two player, made it a ton of fun. Nice. And then the final game, which is one of my favorite multiplayer games, and started out as a PC game that got ported 
to consoles, and that is Diablo 3. I initially played Diablo 3, and as well as 1 and 2 on PC, and frankly I was a little bit concerned with how the game would translate to console, because it just it plays so well uh, with a keyboard and mouse interface, but I have to give props to Blizzard. They did an absolutely fantastic job taking the really iconic multiplayer experience that was Diablo, Diablo 2, Diablo 3, and turning it into a, a, a console experience. And... It has a wonderful same-screen couch co-op mode where you each play a different character and go through and just do a bunch of dungeon diving and killing monsters and getting loot and sharing loot, trading loot. Just a, a, a lot of fun. So Diablo 3 gets my nod for the best gamer-focused couch co-op game of the generation thus far. Nice. Now, the there was a chapter about Diablo 3 in the game Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, uh, which was the book club, the Cartridge Club video game book club pick last month. So definitely check that out if you are interested in hearing more about that conversion from a PC uh, experience to a console experience and the sort of hoops that they had to jump through in order to make that work um, and sort of and, and a lot of some of the hesitations and reservations they had to make that work um, not everyone was totally on board with the concept uh, but it did turn out fairly well so good 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 well so we're at the end of this episode. Uh, we want to congratulate the winner of the uh, video game drawing, uh, Retro Lectors. Uh, remind, uh, this is a reminder to reach out to us with your mailing address and which prize you selected. Uh, that's very, very important. So please, please, please reach out to us. You can reach out, uh, I, I would say reach out to us at the uh, MOU podcast Twitter account at MOU podcast. You can uh, reach out to us via a DM or just an at mention, um, however you'd like to go about that. Just make sure that you reach out to us. If we don't get back to you, then maybe try another method. Maybe reach directly out to Scott at at VG Collectaholic or myself at Caleb J. Ross, all on Twitter. Um, just make sure that we you get a response from us. If you don't get a response from us, then chances are we didn't get it. Um, so don't uh, don't assume, I guess. Um, also, for all of you non-winners, please also check us out at those same places I just told you. Uh, tell us what you like about the show. Give us some feedback on the show. Um, or just chat about video games. Tell us cool video game news articles and things that you'd like us to comment on. You can reach us at those three channels. Again, that's all Twitter accounts, VG Collectaholic. Caleb J. Ross or MOU Podcast. Um, also, um, our web address is mastersofunlocking.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastersofunlocking. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, subscribe to this uh, episode or subscribe to this uh, podcast of ours. Uh, you've listened this far into the podcast. You obviously like it. So the next step would be to simply subscribe. And if you already are subscribed, go ahead and share it with a friend. Go ahead and review it on iTunes. Even though there's no contest anymore, the greater contest is the contest of your soul. Uh, make Feel good about reviewing the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, uh, Google Play. Um, you can't review an RSS feed, but hey, you can still subscribe via an RSS feed. So go ahead and do that as well. <laughs> and who knows? You know, down the road, we may have a, a reprise of the Masters of Unlocking free game giveaway where, where everybody who's reviewed us is eligible. A prize reprise. 
Ooh, I if like it's it. The, if it's the second one, then is a reprise reprise? A, a re-reprise? Uh, probably not. A re-reprise. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening uh, to this wonderful episode, uh, this wonderful podcast, the only video game podcast in existence. I stand by that to death, and I will get murdered for saying that, so I won't have to stand by it for very long. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, please, subscribe. Bye. See ya. See ya.